welcome to the Doing Epic Stuff podcast with your host, Mike Drohan. Together, we'll explore the stories and journeys of ordinary people doing extraordinary things. I almost got scared for a while to pursue things I was passionate about because I did not know how to manage it. Like, how do you how do you pursue your passion whilst keeping your own well-being um, balanced? At the ripe old age of 23, when I was primarily concerned about busting moves on the dance floor, Helena Chen was successfully executing upon her very own Operation Treadstone, a la The Born Identity. Whereas the aim of Operation Treadstone was to produce a generation of emotionless killing machine super soldiers, the aim of Helena's program was to produce a generation of conscious capitalists, cream of the crop MBA grads with a higher purpose than achieving maximum financial gain. The first generation of fit-for-purpose corporate leaders for good. Helena was without a doubt 10 years ahead of her time with this thinking. The proof was in big corporates like GE getting on board with the program. But more importantly to Helena, the huge positive impact it had on the participants. There was an even an offer to turn the successful program into a permanent supplement to the traditional MBA syllabus. But all of that passion, drive and commitment came at a very heavy cost. Helena had put her mission before her well-being, and before she knew it, she was totally burned out. Where do we go when we lose ourselves in an idea? How do we find ourselves again? Join Helena and I as we explore her epic story of entrepreneurism, determination, and redemption. You were pretty far ahead of your time with that HAA thing. Yes, I was 20, I was 23. One of the notes I wrote down before when I was just thinking about how we knew each other and HAA and all that sort of stuff, High Achievers Association, I remember thinking when I met you, I was so impressed that at sort of 20 years or so of age, you had managed to to put together a program and actually execute on it. Yeah. Like that to me was just such a big wow because I hadn't met anyone who had even considered something like that. I mean, my early 20s were mainly just partying. I'd say probably going to uni and stuff. But other than that, not having any real entrepreneurial wherewithal to go far with something like that. So maybe if you can just take us back, Helena, I think it'd be really interesting to you to kind of give us the HAA, the High Achievers Association story, because it's a a good one. Yeah. And And thank you for that. And I think also back then, entrepreneurial that word it didn't really exist it was all very exciting and I think I learned by doing so um, I knew that early on in high school I felt often quite trapped in the way that we were asked to learn and um, like you I think every opportunity like every gap in the market that I saw was an opportunity to test myself and that's what you do in your 20s right and you have less to lose so I did do the partying don't get me wrong you know, I think I started all that a little bit earlier. And then by 22, I was like, okay, let's throw myself in this other world of challenging myself in changing the world and seeing my capacity to do that. And I think I do look back with such fondness because I do remember feeling so in flow. And that's when I learned my first few lessons of measured passion and impact your mental health when you lose yourself in an idea 
Um, but basically what happened is I left after two years of very quickly throwing myself in management consulting and burning out quite fast, but realizing I loved business after being an arts student and never having seen a profit and loss statement before <laughs> working, um, working in management consulting and having all these ideas of, of how businesses could change, but feeling like I could only get so far without uh, and internally knowing that I had some kind of content expertise. Um, so I went and studied Master of Business and that's when I was like, wow, after seeing the working world and then going into academia, it is so, they are like two different worlds, but yet the students feel like they're really getting set up to be a CEO after graduating. You know, there are people that were doing Masters of Business and they're like, yeah, yeah, you know, I can um, do a business turnaround and look at a profit and loss or like see which shares we invest in, but they wouldn't know how to, you know, run a meeting or set up an agenda or um, influence people or stakeholder management, anything like that. So I just picked up on these gaps and they basically fell into these four pillars. There was nothing in universities that taught us about how to position yourself in a meeting to get your point across mm -hmm. um so you know what is what do you stand for what's your personal brand um and how do you create a roadmap for yourself so career is meaningful so career is not just your job it's also everything you learn personally and professionally and i still believe in that i think that my process right now in building my own resilience and being a mum will ultimately make me a better leader and a better um just better at my job um, and the way that I build relationships with people um, in and out of work. And then what, um, what can we contribute back to the community? And that's a big factor of your well-being. I think everyone does need to feel a sense of being able to realise their own abilities in life, get over hurdles, and also contribute to community. I think that really helps your well-being. Um, and that's not covered, right? Like, you go into any course that's not acknowledged. Um, it certainly wasn't in our day. <laughs> yeah. Well, yes, that is true. That I'm talking about back in the day. Because yep. now I know there are amazing courses that help young people with that, um, which I'm really happy about. And then multiculturalism. So everyone is kind of boxed. Are you a law student? Are you an art student? Are you a business student? Well, what can they learn from each other? And even societies, it's like the art society, the law society, the arts balls, etc. So is there a forum where we can all mingle and learn from each other? And so, so almost in the sense of multi-professional multi culturalism. Yeah, yeah. Mm. And just mimicking more of what happens outside of universities because that's what happens, right? You're in a meeting and you've got marketing, you've got finance and you've got um, whoever else. Um, so, yeah, you, you, it is. It's like a melting pot of of different yeah. specialities if you go into just about any corporate meeting whom people with maybe someone from hr as well like who knows but it's going to be yeah. a hot pot of of professional backgrounds and and professional cultures yeah yeah and so it was there were a lot of ingredients to getting that idea to execution so i found there was a leadership program at my university at the time and part of our challenge like we were picked based on a number of different personality factors and academic factors to be in there. There are about 20 of us. 
And then we had to pick some kind of a project. And a lot of the time it was a project that involved, oh, yeah, I think there were any, any initiative that you could work on as a group to practice leadership styles. And our idea was I had a few people um, in our group, there were about six of us, and they all had bits and pieces of those four pillars. And I'm like, why don't we create these are the gaps that I've seen. Why don't we create a program that accelerates people who are already really switched on, but kind of switches their mindset about what high achievement actually is. Like these might be people that if we didn't intervene or take them through this program, they'd be going straight in and climbing corporate ladder quite quickly. And let's turn those people who are going to be influencers into well-rounded influencers and just show them earlier on um, what success or how they should be defining success for themselves. Because I was seeing, I was also being mentored by someone that teed me up with people at the later stages of their career. And the common message they were telling me is, you know, I would do it differently. You know, I spent 30 years in banking, I got a divorce and I'm miserable. Like the way I defined success was wrong. If you follow this path and you think you're doing the right thing, because that's the way the society does it, you might just get spat out and be quite miserable like me. And that was like the recurring thing. Like, so so um, you could theoretically, and what you were seeing again and again was these people who were successful in their profession per se, yeah. perceived as successful. When you actually got to ch- sit down and chat with these people, a lot of them were very uh, unhappy and had been potentially had succeeded in business, but really not succeeded so well in their personal lives. Yeah, exactly. And they realised it was all down to the way they had defined success and the fact that they'd followed other people's definitions of success. So really wanted to get that thinking earlier on. And I was really lucky because the six people that we got put together, we actually, through that program, had actually filtered out six complementary personalities. So I don't remember which personality test it was, but we had the right balance of visionary versus like, you know, a detailed person that was a great secretary for our organization. There'd been um, some sort of process for you guys to be categorized like that, like yeah. a proven process. Yeah. 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 So I kind of just optimized all of that, those resources, and then used it to be like, hey, this is this is the idea. How about we yes to that idea, yes to that idea, and we create a big umbrella brand and we call it high achieve association. So we we attract the types of people that that um, it's it's kind of we're we're kind of being a bit cheeky and we're selling it as one thing, but once you go in, you realize actually that the definition you thought it was is very different. <laughs> so high um, achievers was the clickbait. You were like, people yes, were like, oh, I want to be a high achiever association. <laughs> yes. Of course, I want to be part of that. Sign me yes. up. <laughs> yes, exactly. And so that's on paper. It sounds really a little bit maybe wanky, but it's not what we were actually about. It was, it was, <laughs> it was the quick fight. Um, luckily also, I think, cause I was going through my journey of redefining success. I had found so many amazing speakers that found themselves in university settings, mentors, um, programs and workshops. And I had redefined my vision of success as well. And so I'm like, I want to bring this to other people and I want to make it a program. And so I was fortunate enough that that vision compelled a lot of people and they um, they led each pillar. So they delivered workshops as suppliers 
um, and we brought in the students um, and we created a program that lasted, you know what, I can't remember now, but I think it was an accelerated program across um, about three to four months, but basically it was broken up into structured workshops and then a follow-up session to actually make you accountable for your plans and peer support and reinforcing your learnings and then reporting back to a panel of potential employers about um, how you've changed, what your vision is for yourself and your life and your career. Um, and that was also potentially a, a recruitment panel for people that wanted to poach talent. And um, that was also based on my experience of what was happening in, in the learning sector that there were lots of bits and pieces of workshops, but you always felt so motivated and then you just go home. There was no post workshop um, reinforcement learning or peer support, or there was just no accountability. And that to me is not really, it's not, it's not a learning journey. You're mm. just giving someone one part of a learning journey. So I wanted to create a structure that made everyone accountable. Um, and the main thing was psychological commitment because we charge a certain amount, but I think, I think that was mainly for psychological commitment that they would make it to the end. Otherwise, again, if they felt this was not contributing directly to a job in one year's time or three years time, they might drop out or exams might happen. They might drop out. So I wanted to make sure that they were invested. Yeah, um, need some skin in the game <clears> to the make game. these poor students actually spend a bit of money and then you knew they were probably going to complete it. Yeah, and also I wanted them to get the benefit of cross-functional learning. And so that was a big part of this, right? I wanted to make sure I was choosing people from different fields and making sure that they were mingling. And the, the testimonials I got after, it was all, you know, it was, again, like with everything, the people I met, what I learned from the other people. Um, one that I really remember is someone that when we first interviewed him, he was, he almost had like, the professionals, um, the professional energy of someone that was like a 40 year old CFO, like, but he would be looking down and it was a real gun with all that he was saying, but he didn't quite know how to engage. And by the end of it, I remember noticing his head was up. He was looking you in the eye. He was telling you something from an authentic place that was his mind and heart and gut. And, um, the feedback that he got from his parents and his family were like, we've noticed that this guy, he he has his head up now and he looks at us when he talks and he engages and he has something to say. He's not just kind of a machine that's just been spat out by this system. Um, and that's the one I remember really the most because- You gave him some swagger. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he could have just very easily been that person that just followed that system and really done well in that system. Yeah. But maybe um, he might not have been miserable but maybe um, not have realised his potential in what he could contribute to society. Yeah, yeah. he could have been yeah. a, a leadership role as well, even as something as simple as that, rather yeah. than just being one of the really smart guys that did stuff behind mm -hmm. the scenes. He yes. could be the guy. Or he might have always been the leader, but then like the way that he leads, I'd like to think that he's now, now able to, he's unleashed a few blind spots, you know, like that emotional intelligence, the... Um, those unspoken things that if you tick all the boxes on paper, you can get promoted. But until you're reporting to that person, you realise that there are 
you might not realize there are blind spots. You know what I mean? Those mm. people that just aren't in tune to some certain things because they just don't have that well-rounded life, um, life experience or life perspective. So yeah. just I just wanted to open up that world. You know, we couldn't, we couldn't, we could only do so much in six months, but I wanted to open that. It's almost like a third eye, or you know, just a diff, just a different perspective of what they could be looking for in their life and their decisions and yeah but look look around me now i think you know we've got so many universities that offer accelerated programs about innovation and planning and yeah it's amazing it's already happened and you know what the big picture is i think in the world i feel like things that i used to get frustrated with even 20 years ago um, when I was studying sociology and, you know, I just learned about media and binaries and all that stuff, it's all come out now. And I think, especially with technology, stuff happens. I think stuff will improve. It's just maybe slower than what we'll, we'll be expecting and, and liking. But I do think there's always progress. That's my little, that's my little half glass, half full perspective <laughs> on the world. I think you know, rather than trying to solve everything, I do think at the end of the day, things sort itself out. Yeah, largely there's a, there's a positive momentum which never really stops. It might just slow over periods. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I think generally, I think across the world. Yeah, yeah, that's it. And a, and a gen, yeah, general want for things to be better, which which drives this. And, and there's a lot of minds kind of uh, thinking about these things and taking actions. Maybe they're imperceptible to the to us day to day, but they're definitely happening. Um, I can imagine that the value that someone would have gotten out of that program who wouldn't have otherwise have been exposed to it back then. Uh, just like things like, as you mentioned there, there was suppliers, you had brands like GE and a couple of other like pretty big, well-known uh, corporate entities being part of your program, which I think of itself was really, really impressive. But these, these, people who attended the course had to go and present their actual ideas directly to people who were senior in those corporations, which I think would have been a hugely beneficial experience. Yeah. Yeah. We had GEPWC as the um, big corporates and the others were um, independent type entrepreneurial suppliers that were dedicating their lives to this topic and wanting to disrupt the industry of education as well. Um, And it was really exciting at the end of all of that, um, we did get an offer to incorporate that program in the university. Um, and I, I did have grand visions at the time to not make it university dependent, to kind of be able to spread to multiple universities and kind of disrupt and, and expand. And I wanted to have the technology industry kind of catch up with how we could do that, like how, how could tech for education help us expand more sustainably? A number of things happened. You know what? Our sponsor actually passed away. Um, mm. You know, so I think a lot of a lot of things that I optimized to help us going. You know, having an advocate, having an awesome team, having a vision, having the right environment, having the gap, having suppliers that you know there were all these things that just aligned. And then the wind down was also the unraveling of that. The spot, you know, our sponsor um, suffered a very all of a sudden, um, heart attack, um, team members moved overseas. Um, my own drive and vision for personal success 
started to deviate from where I wanted the organisation to go. Um, I still believed that it needed to happen, but whether or not it was me to do that um, was a question, like what was I wanting in life and, and what did I want to get out of that? And I wanted to make sure if I did go forward, it was sustainable. I mean, we achieved so much in six months and, you know, how was this going to be commercial? Was this going to be my job? Was this going to be, I knew to make it successful and scale it, I would have to give it my all. And I knew what that meant after trying that. And that, that to me is the biggest gift um, of knowing when to let go and also knowing um, when your health is actually a factor of choosing a path. Um, it's still one of the greatest feelings that I've had when, you know, pursuing something that is so aligned to you. Um, uh, and I look back and actually, I used to say a lot of the time that was like one of my most, um, I don't know, something that meant the most to me in my achievements, even though on paper, um, it might look differently, you know, if you're looking from a corporate perspective. And, and now, um, and at the same time, I launched my own consulting gig. Um, and I think just at that time, I just wanted to test. I was like, if my 10 year plan is to run my own business, what if that all turns to shambles when I realize I don't like it? So let's test it out. <laughs> what does it mean? Um, and so I did not for profit, I did for profit. Um, and then from there, from hurting myself um, in those, you know, because when I say failure, I don't think it was failure on paper. It was, and you and I agree to this, like we don't, we, we probably, um, we probably put ourselves last to make sure that we succeed in things in some ways that we end up being the ones that are kind of um, compromised. <laughs> yeah, compromise or we've like lost our work-life balance. And um, I've learned a lot since then. And now I'm in, involved in research around how work affects your mental health. A lot of stuff makes sense. And I almost got scared for a while to pursue things I was passionate about because I did not know how to manage it. Like how do you, how do you pursue your passion whilst keeping your own well-being? Um balanced mm. and a lot of stuff makes sense now because um there are research factors about how if you can't control your job scope you're always going to feel at risk of feeling um out of control and burnt out or at risk of a mental health condition or um if you don't have team and strong relationships around you which you often don't when you're in a startup how that puts you at risk so if you don't go to that meetup that week um, that very week, you're actually putting yourself at risk. Because these um, jobs don't come with a disclaimer, do they? There's never, there's never like part of the interview processes. And by the way, working in this startup might grind you into a, a shell of your former self, but the pay is pretty good. So it's good. Yeah. yeah, yeah, exactly. And there's, I don't know the exact stats, but I know that there are stats around how um, a lot of startups don't, I don't know if they fail, but they don't continue because of the well-being of the founder. Right, right. And everyone often perceives that as, oh, the business wasn't successful. It's like, well, actually, no, that might not be always the case. In fact, it's probably not. It's generally probably not the case. It's like if you do something too much and it burns you out, the business will die because the the founder just can't sustain the effort if they get, yeah. if they get too low. So. Yeah. And if they're a bit off, they're going to make decisions that aren't 100%. They, they can easily lose perspective. 
they can't dock, you know, a lot of the presses are in their heads um, and you don't have time to document if you just need cash in the bank. It's, it's tough. And it's also why it's thrilling, you know, high risk, mm -hmm. high reward. Those highs are freaking amazing. And um, I think it's those, once you understand what's at play, you can actually manage those highs and lows. And I think it's the beauty of today. There's a lot of research that tells you and explains why you're feeling the way you're feeling. And there's a lot of support out there now for small business owners. Um, mm. But yeah, it's good. To, you know, I remember the, and I think it's still common now, like the work-life balance aspect, that's actually a protective factor. If your work enables you to do that, that's the one thing that you do get running your own business. And that is beautiful. And that's why you see on Instagram, it's all about, I love the fact I can work at the beach. I can work from home anytime <laughs> I want. I can pick up the kids. I mean, that's the one factor that they sell and that is legit. But if you've got all the other factors not managed, um, I hate to say it, but it sounds really unglamorous, but it does put you at risk if you don't know how to manage it. But um, now I know, you know, what I do know, I think, um, and other people have that knowledge now, I think it can be managed and hopefully we're on a trajectory where people can sustain it and it's not all ego driven. There are so many different types of, there's full-time business owners, but then there's also people that are creating this kind of puzzle lifestyle where they have three days a week working for someone else and two days on their own thing. Mm -hmm. And we just, it's just, it's so fluid how you define your, your work life mm -hmm. Um, mm -hmm. nowadays, which I think is another step in the right direction where people don't mm -hmm. see it as one definition anymore. Yeah. And, and, and even to the, to the extent of it's not really just your work life anymore. It's more kind of like your life and work yeah. is part of it. And the perception's yeah. different now. And, and because it is your, your people are finding ways to tailor their work into a way which suits the way they want to live their life, right? So whereas before yeah. it was just about what's your profession, what's your career, what do you do as a job? Yeah. Probably one of the things that I think is I've taken out from us knowing each other for such a long time, Helena, one of the, one of the key things which I sort of, I guess I kind of got from you or got excited about because of you was yeah. uh, meditation. So oh. maybe like seven years ago, I started meditating and you were definitely the catalyst for that because oh, really? I remember, yeah, yeah. Cause I remember you telling me stories about your dad being like, he just sounded like this exceptionally <laughs> mindful dude who yeah. could, who just imparted knowledge and was like an, a total advocate for meditation. And it was something I remember you were in these high stress jobs. You were often over your head in terms of demands on your time but the one thing yeah. you kept reinforcing was then I'd just go meditate and my shit would be together again and I'd just move forward. So I, that kind of stuck with me and it was the impetus for me to, to get into meditation. So I'd kind of like to know about your, your kind of meditation journey or your experience with it. Like what, how has that been part of your life for so long? That's amazing. And you know what? I think we've known each other for eight years. Hmm. How crazy is that? Sounds about right. <laughs> yep. Long time. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, I think I started off from a very purist perspective because dad, um, so I'll keep this brief, but dad had a brain tumor when I was about 12 years old and he was told that he wasn't going to be able to, um, walk anymore, let alone drive. Um, and he ended up, he was practicing something called Qigong at the time, but 
until he got diagnosed, until after the brain tumor surgery and was told these things, he really immersed himself in that and just tested the capabilities of Chigal. And he got himself to a point where he could walk and he could drive. And all my memories of my teens was him driving me um, to and from school and driving me places um, with a little limp, but he did recover. And so that was, that so was like a, that yeah. was like a, a self, uh, self rehabilitation through through the practicing of qigong and qigong is what Helena like a so qi means internal energy and gong means exercise mm -hmm. and there are lots of um, I mean from there I know that there are lots of different uh, spin offs and philosophies of it but what I was taught from Dad was that there are lots of different levels to which you practice and it's all about practicing how to hone in on your internal energy to self-heal. And really, basically, there's a philosophy that any disease is due to the over or underproduction of cells. Um, so right. by channeling our energy, we're enabling the cells to go back into their normal state of producing um, to reduce disease. And he actually ended up yeah, he was self-taught and he kept going until um, like he was testing this new magic that he'd found. Um, and he's, he imparted his knowledge on different community members. Mm -hmm. At first, he didn't charge, but similar to what we we're talking about before, he realized everyone needs a bit of psychological commitment. So he started charging like $10 to make sure people were taking it seriously mm -hmm, and practicing mm -hmm. themselves at home. And he got to the stage where um, there were, you know, there was one particular person who he was given the prognosis of passing away within six months and he treated this man every day and he lasted, he, you know, survived for years. There were people mm. that had medication and relied on it and through Qigong they didn't need it anymore. There was a young guy in year 12 that had a really rare brain condition and he managed to help that go away. Um, he, he found that it really worked a lot better on young people. So anyway, oh. I grew up with this amazing father and he um, he has a philosophy, you know, he really aligns to Buddhism um, as well. And when I had, you know, everyone has a little bit of a weak spot in their body, right? Like when you're sick, it's either you get a migraine or everyone has their thing. So my thing is my tummy. <laughs> Me too. So, yeah. <laughs> we need better gut health, man. Yeah. Um, so he always like helped me with techniques to manage. I used to faint from tummy aches. Oh, so wow. He, he taught me some That's basics. And, yeah. So I, I used that growing up. Um, and then I, there were four levels of Qigong that he taught, level A, B, C, and D. Um, and there was a period probably around the time that we were in touch in my 20s where I really, you know, and I was living that a pretty flexible lifestyle of my master's of business and consulting and kind of could make stuff work. So I also part of carved part of my life to immerse as much as I could in Qigong. So I used to go to one and a half hour classes every weekend. I wanted to help him scale it. I wanted to just absorb as much as I could. And that was probably when I told you these things that, you know, I was actually the most immersed at that stage. Mm -hmm. um, and yeah, every time I did one and a half hours on that Sunday, which is a lot of time. Um, yeah. You know, compared to my nowadays, it's more like five minutes every day to incorporate into my lifestyle. Um, 
I definitely could see things, you know, sometimes I would even get endorphin um, shoots, you know, when you're doing something you love or you're meditating, you get these little highs or when you're running, I used to get that. In yeah. Meditation yeah. And you get this kind of spike of, spike of good feeling. Yeah. Epiphanies or realizations or problems that I now had ideas on how to solve. And so that was really amazing. And um, he unfortunately passed about four years ago and since then, it's just been a balance of, you know, I still have his amazing recordings that I can use um, to do those one and a half hours of practice on a weekend. But it's also looking at how do I incorporate this to the stage where I can, similar to what we were talking about before, it's not like you're either on or off, you're either in full blown, like achievement oriented mode versus meditating for one and a half hours. How do we make that more you know, how do we become that peace in our everyday life? And so um, whilst I would love to aim to be immersed in that, you know, for large blocks of time, and I still aim to do that, um, now it's really about five minutes um, a day. And I do use bits of what I've learned in Qigong and I do use Insight Timer. And that's another beauty of today, you know. Back then I used to never talk about Qigong I knew no one had the capability to or capacity to understand or um, listen to what that was back then. But now meditation is trendy. Mm -hmm, <laughs> We've mm -hmm. got all these apps. So it's a lot more incorporated in my life. And I think going from using, you know, those external factors of success that we were talking about before to looking at what makes me happy and then, using that to navigate through stressful situations, especially conflict or um, decisions where, you know, do I stay in this job? Do I go? It's going, it helps me actually reflect on what are my values and then how can I navigate this situation according to my values? In the past, I used to not do that. I used to probably navigate according to what I thought was acceptable in that situation mm -hmm. or what would get me, the glamorous outcomes <laughs> and so this has been um yeah a really great journey where i've used meditation differently it's it's i think qigong really helps with health and these at the moment the five minutes of meditation i do really helps with mindset and decision making and um reflection and balance and it just enables me to react less and make less impulsive decisions which i used to do a lot Mm -hmm. and more um, meaningful decisions and understanding why am I angry or why am I, why am I anxious? Because every emotion is a gift. So you go, okay, well, actually it's because I, re I value reliability. That's why I'm annoyed at this person. And I can kind of put that emotion to bed because I understand it. And then I go, okay, well, because I value reliability, how can I use that to respond in a way that I'm proud of and not, react to them so useful i, I think I've, I've made it pretty much a, a part of my daily routine for probably yeah probably for about five years constantly i think past and i think it's like like you were saying it's that it's that perspective piece like i'm guilty of having thoughts that want to always be moving forward like i always want to be in action so slowing myself down at the start of the day rather than thinking those 16 steps ahead i found such a, a valuable thing even for example us being on this podcast today like i can sit on this podcast with helena 
knowing I've got 50 things I want to do, but not even thinking about them once, just being totally engaged in this discussion, which I think the more we get pushed and pulled by digital technology and alerts and, and that hyper productivity piece, I think it just becomes more and more important that we go back to these kind of old tried and tested methods to just, just calm ourselves down a little bit, right? Like it just seems like such a, a valuable thing that anyone has access to. So do you think, I've, I've met a lot of people who've had real difficulty onboarding with these things. And I think that there's, there's apps out now to make it simpler for people. Um, do you have any experiences or any thoughts on what can make it easier to make it part of your routine to even just start with that like five minutes a day thing yeah yeah yeah. it's totally what we talked about before it's that mindset of anything is better than nothing anything in the right direction is better than nothing and remembering that before we go to the gym sometimes we feel like oh i'd much rather eat this block of chocolate on the couch (laughs) then you realize i never feel worse going to the gym So I've never met anyone that has done two minutes of meditation and gone, I feel worse. (laughs) Um, You're not, you're just not. So you're most likely going to feel a tiny bit better or if not, you might not realize it, but yes, it can be uncomfortable having two minutes of hearing all the noise in your head. If you haven't done it before, you're actually probably going to hear a lot of uncomfortable noise or thoughts that you don't want to hear Mm. and it's much easier to distract yourself and go for a while um but it actually has done you benefit because you're off you're kind of offloading some of that if you're giving yourself time it's like venting to someone you're kind of releasing them and i there's even one that's um a one minute meditation on insight timer and i use it and it does make me feel better because i just take that one minute and even though I'm not following his instructions, because I've done that one minute, I've offloaded a few, a few crazy thoughts. <laughs> and Isn't that has just taken the pressure off my head and enabled me to focus that little tiny bit better on yeah. my next thing. Yeah, it's, it feels like it's, the, it's a great place for people to start who want to start embracing this mindset of process rather than outcome. Yeah. Like if, I think the... Again, the narrative around meditation, a lot of it, if you were to type meditation online would be, here's the things it's going to do for you that you should expect it to give you. And having those expectations that you're going to get, you turn into Buddha or have like these crazy epiphanies, like they inevitably will be having positive side side effects from it, a guaranteed, but when they will come and what way they will manifest in your life is really, really gray. So I think if you can, if you can just start doing it, and commit to it yeah. it's probably going to have just that act that routine in your life is probably going to have positive implications to other things yeah. unconsciously i would imagine yeah. people say oh, i'm not good at it. it doesn't make sense there's no definition right like there good. was there was a score that you could get there is no score you just do yeah. it and then someone will say oh i just end up falling asleep i don't listen to it that's great because dad used to say because his meditation um there's often lots of different instructions on where to channel your mind and body movements and he's like if you don't follow that's fine or if you fall asleep that's fine it means your body needed to sleep Mm. so anything anything any space that you give yourself even if it's that one minute of silence and you weren't even listening that's already benefiting you and you have no one to report to yeah right anyone that you were you were half asleep like most (laughs) of the time i don't listen to every single word that person's saying the main thing is that you feel better after so whatever it is 
it's fine yeah very just, cool um, just let go Pete. yeah <laughs> float i'm gonna just remember that just i'm gonna anytime i'm think i'm getting overstressed i'm gonna focus on helena telling me just go with the waves float with the waves yes. let it be yes be Bring like that. that log i like it i can be the log I'll ask you, I'll ask you one more, we'll touch on one more topic, Helena. I'm taking up quite a bit of your time I'm conscious of, but I'm going to anyway, because it's nice to have you to chat to. <laughs> yeah. And thanks for being quite free flowing with this as well. I think the old me was, would have written down all these dot points, but I actually just came in going, you know what? I'm just going to talk. Yeah. So glad we're in the same wavelength. No, that's cool. I, I find it is a more pleasant experience kind of running things like that it can't i can't always do that with every guest but because we know each other so well and have such a great rapport like free the log is the way we are the logs <laughs> thank you <laughs> and thank you to anyone that made it this far yeah. <laughs> welcome to the log tribe um so you having such a uh in some ways really really positive but in other ways really really challenging and exhausting entrepreneurship journey so early in your life like you were still studying when all that high achievers association stuff was going on which cannot kind of be you know, the, the implications of going into something that intense while you're still a student uh, are just you kind of understate how, how big a task that is so did you find after that that you still craved an entrepreneurial journey or or outlet and given that you moved into working with companies, being an employee or a consultant, which was a consultant was still yeah. an entrepreneur, but you kind of, yeah. you did end up working for companies down the track. Were you able yeah. to maintain that entre entrepreneurial spirit or yeah. still do things like yeah. that? I think after that, I realized that well-being was a real success factor. So <laughs> I saw that working for someone else could help me take away some of the things I didn't know quite how to manage. So measured passion became my new challenge. It was like, how do I, it's almost like working with someone gave me that protective mechanism to care a little less. <laughs> um, and I thought, cause actually someone, it was a awesome CIO of the company and, you know, in your journey, you only get about three out of a hundred people that you work for that you really, love and admire as awesome bosses and it was after I was at 6pm and he actually um he he sat me down and he just said hey how are you going you know I see that you yeah the pace that you work at is amazing and I actually used to do that and I just wanted to share a story about how eventually it led myself to having a panic attack um, and I thought I was having a heart attack and now I actually take um anti-anxiety um, pills um mm. every day and i just i just want you to know that even though i know you plan on taking this amazing holiday in six months time after this intense piece of work you can't undo your health um so you know are you going to keep working at this pace that totally stopped me in my traps and wow. you know he was not my permanent boss he was essentially a client but he was actually really wanting to share and use his lesson to kind of help me in my trajectory. He could see the trajectory I was going down. It wasn't sustainable. And that made me question all of my decisions, actually, from then on. Um, he was right. I was like thinking that he could just go to Thailand for six months and just recuperate. Undo all the, all the, all the, all the, yeah. <laughs> That's what you did 
within uni, you stay up late and then you smash out your assignments and exams and then you go have a holiday. I was doing the same mm-hmm. thing. Mm-hmm. And I realized, yeah, what if I had the same salary rather than you like getting an amazing yearly salary, squeezing in six months? What if I had had that salary across 12 months and lived a more sustainable, healthy, less extreme life? Um, and how do I unlearn feeding off adrenaline because that's what I used to rely on for my high performance that stress and adrenaline yeah that was kind of the the double-edged sword you were riding all the time right that thrill and rush of it but that that potential to just sap all of your energy basically yes and now I know so much more about stress being helpful yes it is it does help performance but you also need to know your threshold what are your physical signs of it being starting to go into that unhelpful territory didn't know any of that. Didn't have Faint, that stuff. Fainting due to stomach cramps? It's negative side. Yeah. Well, yeah. So I had, um, I did get checked up a few years after that and I did suffer from adrenal exhaustion, which I think Whoa. I don't even know if you ever fully recover from that. Um, so does, it's that, is that like your, your adrenal gland being used so much that it gets tired? Something yeah, like that? So apparently when you use your adrenal gland, your cortisol um, kicks in. Um, and then that cortisol actually is responsible for your timings when you wake up. So I found that like at three or four or 5 a.m. in the morning, I'd be waking up as if I just had a shot of caffeine. I'd be like jumping out of bed going, let's go to the gym, let's go to the gym, let's wow. start the day. Yeah. But the gym wasn't open. So I'm like, okay, calm down, calm down. You need a couple of hours. And then I'll kind of go back to bed and then I'll wake up exhausted. Um and then it was time to go to the gym and I didn't have energy to go to the gym. <laughs> I was mm. like, what the heck is this? And this is happening every night and I'm not getting good sleeps. And yeah, so I saw a naturopath and she looked at everything and she said, yeah, you just got this over and under production of this, these hormones. Um, and it's because you've just overused it so much that it doesn't know how to act normally anymore. And so um yeah, I took stuff and I was just on it. And I think it's still a journey to just manage, manage that, manage um, how much you ride a wave. And I still find myself, like if I get a little taste of a bit of a high of some sort, look, you know, if I get a win, my impulsive reaction is to ride it further. Like how much further can I push this? <laughs> we share that. We totally share that. <laughs> let's share this let's double it let's you know how can I optimize and um my pride is um to meditate on the joy not just meditate when you're stressed so I started to rather than going into let's call these peeps and tell them the news and let's make it bigger and let's go hey I've got this let's let's make another opportunity from it I just actually sat in the joy and enjoyed it and then I made you know it's, you know, you don't want to kill the buzz. Buzz is great. Um, but yeah, just making a few more mindful decisions and yeah, looking at yourself from third person sometimes and going, because I see other people that do that and you realize, oh, you've kind of lost yourself. You've got some blind spots there. And I think if we don't self-reflect, we all have the danger of that. Mm-hmm. Um, and part of quitting caffeine as well has really helped me not um, kind of, be more in tune with my blind spots as well. Oh, I think and, that's a bridge too far for me, but I could see the 
yeah, the benefits of it. I think it's possible for me because I'm actually sensitive to caffeine. I know caffeine yeah. can just not really do much to some people. And I yeah. envy that because I love the taste of coffee. But um, yeah, not having coffee has really helped me as well become less reactive. And mm. just, yeah, I'm now in a place where I'm not thriving off dissatisfaction. You know, I used to be in a healthy place where I used to um, thrive off feeling like I needed money. Like if I had... If I felt I had like a good bank account, I would I would find that demotivating. Like how mm. sick is that? Mm. That's interesting, <laughs> you know, isn't it? You I kind need of needed that that, that, that pressure to yeah yes. yeah. Yes, it was an addiction. Yeah. Um, and so when you actually feel like things are good, you know, knowing how to sit with that and knowing that that's healthy and knowing that's great and um yeah, but I do think that. You know, the definition of entrepreneurialism is different according to different people you talk to, but I think it's just that creative itch that I always, in my personality, I I have, you know, lots of different ideas that come from a mix of my, my intuition, my heart and my brain. And when you're working with someone, you know, you don't need all of those components. So I've just learned that I'm always going to have extra stuff extra stuff that come from my you know all these bits and pieces that I need to express so I always just make sure I've got an outlet um and it, to me it's not about working for someone else or working for me I think you can create your happiness that's not defined by whether or not you're working with someone um so at the moment you know I've got as long as I've got autonomy in my job as long as I feel like I'm making a difference as long as I can push new ideas um I don't think about if I'm working for someone else because as soon as you start thinking that, you start acting like it and then you feel like you lose your autonomy. That kind of um, goes back to your, your shifting in, in your principles almost, like your, I don't know, if, yeah, kind of like your principles, like you've your definition of what it is to to be happy and, and to make you feel like you're fulfilling your purpose has probably yeah. has changed over time. Do you yes. think that change is... A, a, through an under, a better understanding of yourself or is that just inevitable that we all kind of just change and we come to new realisations? I think looking at, I think unpacking what it means, what you think it means to work for someone else. If you think it means you lose autonomy, um, then it will. Like yeah, I believe I still have autonomy and... I still have um, all that I still am doing something I'm passionate about. I'm doing all the things that I want in running my own business. And it just, it's just a technicality for me now. Yeah, I get it. Um, Without, whereas, yeah, with the security of, of income and not having to worry about that is a big plus. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And whereas in your 20s, being your own boss means something because at that time, I think you want to experience it. What is what does that mean? And I think it's really important too because it makes you become a better um, collaborator because you can understand what it's like. So I've got people that run their own business and I work with them and I can actually empathise with their challenges. Um, it's, in, it's important. All of it is important. And there's going to be times when I'm doing, I'm getting real ambiguous here. I just don't think that it's an end. And I don't think that the definitions, they just don't mean that much to me anymore. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, Let, less focus. I mean, that's all part of being less focused on the, on the outcome, isn't it? It's more about yeah. just, just trusting the process and going with the flow a bit more and, and knowing, seeing the signs when things are good or not so good for you and making little adjustments in your course as you go. Yeah. Do you like the people you're working with? Do you like the cause that you're working for? Um, and also believing that that exists. I think five to 10 years ago, I didn't believe that there was a business that exists that I believed enough in to work for. Yeah. And I think that changed. I've now realized there are amazing businesses out there that are worthy of my energy. But in the past, there wasn't in my head. And so I felt I had to create it. It wasn't like right. a, it was just the fact that it was missing. So I was like, well, I'll have to just create it then. Um, <laughs> even better, someone else creates and I help them. That's lovely too. So, yeah. Um, yeah, I think it's, am I working with the right people, the right cause? Um, do I have flexibility? Is there room for growth? Those are all the same drivers that drove me to run my own business anyway. So it's just finding the right thing for your lifestyle as well. Um, and, you know, I love being here in Sydney um, and to sustain that without worrying about things. I wanted to work for someone that gave me that sense of community and a home because another thing about being on your own or starting your own business is, yeah, you shoulder everything on your shoulders. It's a lot um, of alone still, time. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And I still think that can be amazing too when you know how to balance it. Yeah. And you, and you surround yourself with your own self-made community. So there's a time and a place for everything. I'm not saying anything's off the cards, but mm. um, as long as it's contributing to my happiness, I think that's the main, my measure is my happiness. What are the things that make me happy? And can I still do that in whatever choice I, I make? Very well said, Helena. I think we're going to leave it there because I'll end up just talking along to you all, all day and you'll end up missing some sort of appointment. Uh, that was really, really insightful. I, I really appreciate that we had that chat and I feel like we should have more chats in the future. Yeah, thanks for having me. And I, th- I wanted to tie it back to doing epic stuff because I think for me, when I read it, it's all about mindset. I love that you've got such a variety of different people on here. Um, to show that eclectic yeah it's awesome and I'm really proud being 36 weeks pregnant I did not know how I would survive an hour without needing to go to the bathroom (laughs) you've done very well very well Thanks for listening to this episode of the Doing Epic Stuff podcast. You can find all the latest happenings on the website, doingepicstuff.com or our Instagram, Instagram forward slash doingepicstuff. We out.